fellowship. I can't even begin to uh, express the, the um, gratitude I feel for the amount of prayer. Uh, I received so many emails, texts, messages from people. Down at the rally, I had countless men come and say, I've been praying for you, men I don't know. Uh, it's an amazing thing to have people you don't know praying for you, sincerely praying for you. They're, you know, it's not just, now I lay me down to sleep. Uh, keep lamb alive if you feel like it. <laughs> I'm talking about people that genuinely labored in prayer, people fasting for you. You have no idea how humbling that is to me. Before I came into the kingdom of God, I don't think three people would have spit on me if I was on fire. <laughs> and I'm getting messages from all over the world of uh, people praying for me, and I can't explain, or express rather, the, the depth of gratitude I feel for that. Now, I'm not going to get all mushy up here. It's not my style. But I, I want you to know that from the depths of my heart, I appreciate every man that's here every man that prayed for me, churches that prayed for me, pastors that prayed for me. Uh, it just, uh, it really does encourage me. Amen. So, thank you. Nehemiah chapter 4. And how I'm going to thank you is abuse you tonight. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, but I, I do want to kind of go a little bit old school here this evening. And This isn't new heavy revies, but it's a reminder Refresher course of things that we as men need constantly to bear in mind and wrap our heads around and keep ever before us. Someone has said that when it comes to work, some turn up their sleeves, others turn up their noses, and most don't turn up at all. And I want to address this. This is certainly descriptive of this generation of Americans. This generation of Americans has lost the work ethic. And this is especially true of millennials, and if that upsets you, um, I can't help you. I had someone come to me after I preached this in my own church, and they were upset because in his mind... Millennials are hard workers. This was a new convert who just recently started to come to church. I said, what do you do? Oh, I'm not working right now. <laughs> so, my dear millennials, I want to disabuse you of your fantasies. Your generation knows nothing of work. That's all there is to it. So get over it. And listen to what the Word of God has to say in this department. You know, the Creator didn't design the welfare state. And woven into the very fabric of all of life is the essential reality of work. We've heard the saying that success in any undertaking is 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. And the reality of life is work. And I want to drive that home and hopefully you'll get some fresh insight or stirred and come to a place where you actually 
love and appreciate your work. Because that's a critical part of life. You don't want to go through life hating the very essence of what you are as a man, which is a worker. And so we want to come to grips with this. Think this through. Nehemiah chapter 4, 1 verse, verse 6. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that it inspires, that you by your spirit will make the necessary adjustments in our own hearts and minds. And we will be a people that gravitate to this, that we'll be a people, God, who desire this, who recognize the incredible value and worth of our labor and actually live with great hope because of it. I pray that your spirit will strengthen every man in this place. If there are any that are not saved, uh, uh, you'll touch them with salvation. And each man here will, will come away with the dignity of knowing that they are laboring for greater things than their own personal agendas. I pray that you have uh, your way in our hearts and minds this evening. In Jesus' name. And everyone said... Uh, Amen. So one of the most basic components of life is work. There is nothing that exists that didn't come into existence but by work. That's the revelation of Scripture, Genesis 2, 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Now, the marvel of this is that God worked. We have a, a, a strange mindset about creation. God just sitting around on a throne going, stars, light, planets, whales. And just, you know, no effort whatsoever. But that isn't how the Holy Spirit characterized what God did. This is the Holy Spirit and said it was work. And you have no idea the mental energy that had to go into creation. People work with their backs and people work with their brains. And working with your brain is every bit as exhausting as working with your back. In fact, oftentimes more exhausting. And for God to engineer all that exists was work it was plain work and it was so much work that the end of six days he said you know I think I need a rest I think I need to just kind of back off a little here just kind of enjoy the fruit of my labor, but twice in that verse, God goes out of his way and says, don't mistake what I did in creation. It was a lot of work. Amen. So let's bring that down to a less cosmic realm. Bring it into the parameters of our own lives. I would say that the work reality of our life is no less spiritual than in God's creative process. It certainly isn't of the same magnitude, but it is still spiritual. Your work is a spiritual dynamic, be it digging ditches, be it building houses, be it designing buildings, be it pastoring, be it whatever it may be. 
Your work has a spiritual edge to it. It's woven into what God made. It originates with God himself working and breathing that into Adam, whom he put in the earth to work, to tend the garden. He didn't put him in the earth to be a hippie, sit around the garden, smoke dope, eat vegetables. He put him in the garden to work. It was woven into our identity as a human species bearing the image of God who works. And in the realm of men, nothing is wrought but by work. There is no achievement. There is no attainment. There is no accomplishment without the expenditure of energy and that's the definition of work that we all learned back in high school. Work is the expenditure of energy and nothing is accomplished without it. To put it positively, work is the key to unlocking human potential. Everything that you represent in your basic germ form, in your basic existence, everything that you could become, Everything that could come from your existence will come and be unlocked by the process of work. Think about the story of Babel. Genesis 11, 3 to 6. Then they said to one another, come let us make bricks, bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one. They all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So here's all these descendants of Noah. They've got together. They've said, we want to build a city. We want to, this city to have great power and dominion. Uh, the uh, tower was a spiritual thing. It was a ziggurat. And uh, that's what the idea of reaching into heaven was, is tapping into spiritual forces. And God's take on this, God's insight on this is when these people put their hearts and minds and backs into anything, you won't be able to stop them. Amazing things can come from these men because this is what happens when we work, when we labor, when we put our heart and soul, when we have the mind to work. Now, it doesn't matter what context you want to put this in. The reality is that Everything comes by work. And without work, nothing is accomplished. If you want a good marriage, it will take work. A good marriage is not the result of two people falling in love and living happily ever after. That doesn't happen. Oh, the falling in love part happens. The living happily ever after doesn't. Not without work, not without investment, not without thought, energy expended, happily ever after takes work. If you want to be a spiritual man, 
You will have to work at it. It's going to take more than getting filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. It's going to take more than coming to church. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, you don't want to limit that to Paul speaking to Timothy, a pastor. This has the broad application to anyone who wants to accomplish anything for God, who wants to be spiritual, you're going to have to show yourself a worker who is approved. It, it is a question of energy, labor, effort, all put into what you want to accomplish. Jesus said in Luke 14, 28 to 30, which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. This is Jesus describing what it means to be a disciple. And, and he is actually a, a putting a disincentive in front of men who have no interest in laboring for the kingdom. Men who just want to get on board and ride the gravy train and, and just be Christian in name only. He says, that's not what discipleship is. It's going to take an investment. You're going to have to work at this. This is like building a tower. This is like construction. This is labor, and you're going to have to follow through with labor. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. So Paul says that it's a matter of exercise. It's a matter of effort. It's a matter of practice. No matter how you cut it, no matter how you look at it, for you to become a spiritual person, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to work at mastering this and letting it master you. You're going to have to work at prayer. You're going to have to work at all of the various dynamics of your ministry. You cannot get around it. There is no shortcut to spirituality. This is equally true in the arena of uh, business, making money. It's wonderful the number of entrepreneurs that rise up in our fellowship. And a lot of other men look at that and are jealous and they say, well, you know, how come they get all the breaks? It's not a question of breaks. It's a question of hard work. To build a company, to build a business takes work. Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. Go to the ants, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her fruit in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. And so here is the essence of hard work. And he says, he says these ants don't have anybody telling them what to do. I, when I, one of the first jobs I ever had was in a hardware store. I got hired when I was, I believe I was 13. I don't know how that happened. 
And I'm in this hardware store, and I, I didn't last long there because I didn't have a very good grasp on what it meant to be self-motivated. So I'm always standing around the hardware store like this. And my boss would come in and say, what are you doing? I don't know, I'm just kind of here. I didn't hire you to be here, do something. What do you want me to do? That drove him nuts. She got a whole store of stuff and needs stuff done. What are you doing? Do something. He was looking for a bit of a self-starter, and at 13, I wasn't quite there yet. But he says, this is, this is the essence of industry, is a man who, without being told what to do, knows what to do. A man who sees a need, steps into it, fills the gap, is a self-starter, is a self-motivator, so that's what ants do. And they have food in the winter. And their needs are met. Why? Because they're hard workers. You as a Christian should be the best worker on your job. Bar none. That you should be a teacher's pet if you're in school. You should be uh, the number one producer in your company. And if you're building your own company, you already know that you have to put out far more than anybody you hire. And that's just the nature of the beast. That's where prosperity comes from. It comes from hard work. If you want a good church, if you want your church, I'm not talking about you being the pioneer pastor. I'm just talking about your church. If you want the Prescott Church to be a great church, you got to work it. It's not just a question of pastors, Mitchell, working it. Or, or the staff working it. You have to work it. If you want an excellent music group, you got to work at it. If you want excellent drama, you got to work at it. You can always tell when the drama team actually worked at their creative presentation versus coming together five minutes before Saturday night and said, uh, uh, what are we going to do? Uh, I don't know. Let's, here, put on a hat. <laughs> if you want good drama, you got to work at it. You could sense just a touch of frustration as Pastor Mitchell spoke at the rally, at the men's rally there in Phoenix, and he said, I go to church every week, and I look at a lot of good people that are doing nothing. And if you were from Prescott, I hope you had ears to hear. And I know exactly what he's talking about. Good people doing nothing, standing around with their hands in their pockets. What do you want me to do? This is a church. Do something. If you can't find something to do in one of our fellowship churches, you need to go be a Mormon somewhere. <laughs> they care less. Oh, just mail in your tithe. They're good to go. In our churches, there are more opportunities to do something than anywhere on the planet. <sighs> Help me. Help me, God. I'm about to have a heart attack. Matthew 25, 14 to 30, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants, delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, another two, and to one, another one, 
to each according to his own ability and immediately went on a journey. And we all know how this story proceeds. And it's a story of industry. It's a story of labor. It's a story of men willing to work with what they've been given. And they're not all given the same thing. According to their several talents. We all have different abilities. We all have different aptitudes. And we're not all going to produce the same. But the key is to work with what you got. And if you got five, then work with all five. Two, work with two. One, work with one. And the five and the two went on and produced, but the one did nothing. And Jesus' response is profoundly telling. His Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. That was Jesus' take on a man who wouldn't roll up his sleeves and work at it. You wicked, lazy servant. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And those are frightening words. Because Jesus wasn't just talking. He was warning. He was saying, you have the capacity to completely miss what it requires to be functioning in the kingdom of God. And that is by a refusal to embrace a mind to work. In our text, the people of Israel are presented with a huge task. And there's much opposition. But they have to rebuild the temple, and they have to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And God wasn't going to do this for them. And what I have found in 43 years of living for God is there's a lot that God will not do for us. Amen. He'll help us. He'll come alongside us, but he won't lift unless you're willing to lift with him. And then when it's all done, you go, wow, look what God has done, and it's great, and it's wonderful. But it never would have happened if you weren't doing some of the lifting. If you weren't involved in the process of work. Great churches come by great labor. Revival comes through great labor. Spiritual men are produced by great labor. Great families are the product of great labor. And there is no way around this. And so the people in our text are characterized by the Holy Spirit as being people who had a mind to work. The Amplified has it for people had a heart and mind to work. The NLT says for the people had worked with enthusiasm. So we're talking about something in them that wanted to do this. And that's really what I'm after this evening. We can talk about work academically. We can talk about it philosophically. We can say, well, work, yeah. We, we understand how important work is, but I hate it. Right? A lot of men go off to work every day dreading it. A lot of men really don't have an appetite for work. 
But I think that is really what we need to look into, is how to have an appetite, a hunger for work. Think about the aimless entitlement mindset that people have today. They, they don't know what they want to do. And they're just waiting, you know. Well, someday I'll figure out what I want to do. What, when you're 40? You're still living in mama's basement? And you still don't know what you want to do with your life? I can't figure it out. Well, get to work! Right? But this is a generation doesn't doesn't think this way. Work, for us, is a four-letter word. Consumerism is far more important to this generation than productivity. We want, we just don't want to work for it. We think we should have all the stuff that somebody else has. Here's some guy who's worked his whole life, built a fortune, has a nice home, drives a nice car, has a lot of nice things, and some 20-year-old pipsqueak says, you should give me that. I should have that. That's the way people think today. I should have that. The rich should give us what they've created for themselves. That's called socialism. And most millennials today favor socialism. Why? Because they don't want to have to work for what everyone else had to work for. I am not interested in supporting your lazy butt. I am a firm believer in Paul's doctrine. If he don't work, he don't eat. Did you know that was in the Bible? Proverbs 13.4 says, Lazy people want much but get little. Those who work hard will prosper. The average person today views work as an interruption of what they'd rather be doing. How many bumper stickers have you seen? I'd rather be fill in the blank. I'd rather be fishing. I'd, I'd rather be dancing the polka. I'd, I'd rather be mating with a penguin. God only knows. <laughs> and this is a generation that rather than wanting to face... Real life challenges. Listen to me. Real life. I'm not talking about the life that you dream up. I'm not talking about the life that your completely disengaged college professor tells you you should have. I'm talking about real life. You know what real life is? Struggle. Stress. Facing challenges and overcoming them. That's real life. That's the world I live in. That's the world you live in, but you don't want to live in this world. So you say, give me a safe space. Give me a stress-free environment. I, I, I deal with this all the time. I quit work today. Why? Because of the stress. Work is stress. Stress is work. What are you going to do now? Oh, I'm just going to take it all easy for a little while. Okay, well, let me know how that works out for you. Don't ask me for any money. I'm not paying your rent. You're mean. So we have a generation of baby daddies instead of husbands. Because these guys, 
they, they want all the pleasures of sex, but they don't want the responsibility of raising a family and working for it. Amen. And then I got a, a church half filled with single mothers. And I got to pick up your mess. Shame on you. We have a growing criminal class of drug dealers, welfare frauds, unethical CEOs who build their wealth on scams rather than hard work, contractors who defraud their subs, pyramid scammers like Bernie Madoff. This is what's happened to the American work ethic. You know what happened to the American dream? The American work ethic vaporized and the American dream went with it. That's what happened. Is people stopped working for what we've had to work for for our entire history. We've lost the desire to accomplish and the value of work. We have a generation that wants free school, free health care, free housing, free cell phones, free pot. Used to be politicians would promise a chicken in every pot. Now they just promise pot. <laughs> we have a generation that wants to make a living at video games. I run into this all the time. What are you going to do with your life? Oh, I'm going to play video games. <laughs> I'm going to become a champ. I'm going to become the world's greatest Halo player. The heck's a halo player? Oh man, I'm a champ. I go online, they all know me. No, they don't. They know a little cartoon character that's running around blasting people, and uh, they have no idea who you are. Yeah, but one day they'll know me. <laughs> Doesn't work this way. I'm gonna be a champ at world poker. You are living on Fantasy Island, man. This isn't how people make a living. You don't go on YouTube and sell a gazillion. You work. But this generation has no idea what this all means. There's a couple things that are implied by this statement that they had a mind to work. The first, I believe, is vision. For work to be meaningful, you have to have vision. Because ultimately, a mind to work is fueled by the possibilities of labor. What can be accomplished? What can be attained? At its basest level, it's a matter of if I work, I have food on my table. A roof over my head. But it's the food on the table and the roof over your head that compels you to work. If you didn't want either one of those, you wouldn't work, right? It's, it's the vision for what can be attained by hard work. And, and as you grow and as you develop a taste for work and a taste for the challenge, then your vision can grow accordingly. And so as you develop as a young man, you begin to want to accomplish things. Maybe you want to be a virtuoso musician. Maybe you want to be a great athlete. Maybe you, wanna, you want to uh, uh, have a career in, in a certain field and you begin to pursue this. Uh, as a Christian, uh, your heart longs for 
actually overcoming the world, the flesh, and the devil. You want to become a holy person. You want to become a person full of the Holy Spirit, close relationship with God. And as your mind begins to be filled with the possibilities, the things that you really want, that's what begins to fuel your drive. That's when you're willing to do what you have to do to get what you want. You got to get that in your head. Work is all about doing whatever you have to do to get what you want. To get what fuels and fires your vision, your imagination, your hopes. One of the most important questions I can ask you in the context of talking about developing a work ethic is what do you really want in life? What do you want in your life? What do you want for your family? What do you want for your church? What hopes do you have for your children? What do you want to see them attain in life? What do you want to see God do in your life? Do you really want to become a spiritual powerful individual who is making impact for eternity and maybe the biggest question you should answer before any of these is what do you want in eternity because this life man this life is a vapor we're just blowing through here i just preached a sermon on the fact that we are pilgrims we are pilgrims whatever you attain in this life is nothing it's all moving towards the next one and this is why jesus Kept saying things like, well, if you really want treasure, lay it up in heaven. Because treasure here gets stolen. Treasure here gets moth-eaten. Treasure here gets rust. If, you're gonna want, if you really want treasure to endure, invest in heaven. Think about heaven. This is the way Paul lived. Thinking about heaven. Thinking about what is to come. The the most important question that I can ask you is what do you want when you stand before Jesus? Because that's where this whole thing is moving. Do you want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come right over here. Take a look at the house we got for you. Or do you want Jesus to say, uh, yeah, we got a ghetto over here. You, 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 you loved the ghetto when you were on earth and, and uh, apparently you're happy with that so that's what you get in eternity. Yeah, yeah, over here. This is your, uh, yeah, it's, it's a refrigerator box, yeah. That, that's all you get. It's all you sent. That's all we could work with. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your whole life. What is your life about? I, I, how, how's it going to feel when you stand before Jesus and he said, what'd you bring me? Because the only thing he's interested in is souls, Right? You don't care about, you know, your haircut or your fashions or anything. What'd you bring me? How many souls did you win? None. That's awkward. That's a new definition of awkward. What'd you bring me? Nothing. He didn't win one soul? Uh, no. Did you go on any outreaches? Invasion teams? No. Did you get involved in anything? No. I was, I was one of those good people. I was in church every Sunday doing nothing. Wow. 
What do you want in eternity? That's, that's the most profound question you'll ever answer. What do you want? Do you want to look into Jesus' eye and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, well done. Notice the emphasis on done. What'd you do? Well done. We're talking about work, beloved. What do you want? Because the answer to that question, what do you want, is the most compelling reality in your life. It, this is the rationale behind everything that you do, is what you want, what you want to accomplish. I want to build a church. I want to preach the gospel. I want to touch foreign nations. I want my life to count. I want to do something for God. See, if that's a compelling drive in you, it's going to order what you do with your time, your energy, your life. That's going to inform your work. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 7 to 10, whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. This is the rationale behind all work. He who plows does so in hope. Does so that by my labor, I am going to get what I'm after. I am going to see my vision come to pass. I am going to see my heart's desires flourish around me. And I'm investing my life in that. I'm pouring myself into that. A lot of us have big dreams, but we're not working for them. We have things we'd like to see happen. But those things will only happen if you pour yourself into that vision. If you pour yourself into that goal. So the first thing to realize is that the question, what do you want from life, is really the essence of why we work. We don't work for nothing. We work in hope. And he goes on and says, in God's mind, you will be a partaker of that hope if you work. The second thing that is implied by a mind to work is something I've mentioned a few times. It's a work ethic. How many of you ever heard of a Protestant work ethic? That's good. I asked that question in my congregation, not a hand went up. And so uh, there's a lot of older gray heads here, and you've heard of Protestant work ethic. We learned about it in school. They don't teach it in school anymore. And so I'm not surprised that many have not heard of this. But let me just give you an idea of the Protestant work ethic. This comes from a book called The Complete Book of everyday Christianity, and it says generally, it refers to some of the following attitudes and behavior regarding work. Listen. Believing that work gives meaning to life. That work gives meaning to life. You want to see a nut? Go find somebody who's not working. They're nuts because they have no reason to live. Work gives meaning 
to life. I know the bigger meaning is Christ, God, pleasing God. I get it. But work gives meaning to life. Second, having a strong sense of duty to one's work. It's part of the Protestant work ethic. I have a duty. I'm not going to call in sick because there's a good TV show on today. I'm not just going to decide I don't want to show up. I have a duty. I have an obligation to work. Believing that work contributes to the moral worth of the individual and to the health of the social order. Believing that work is important to the fiber of life. Viewing leisure as earned by work and existing as preparation for work. Think that one through. Leisure only exists to get you ready for work. And the only reason why you have any leisure is because you worked. So on both sides of leisure is work. All right? This generation views it just the other way around. I'm a man of leisure, and when I feel like it, I'll work. It's a complete reversal of the Protestant work ethic. Viewing success in work as resulting primarily from the amount of personal effort. It's not a question of self-esteem. It's not a question of we're going to promote you because you're a good guy and we like you. And we want you to feel good about yourself. So we're going to make you president of the company. It's not the way it works. We get rewarded based on our personal Effort. Viewing wealth that accrues from work as a sign of God's favor. See, these are characteristics. And if you think these things through, you're thinking about a very positive take on life. I mean, on work in life. This is a very positive view, a positive mindset, a mind to work. I want to work. I want to be involved. I want to do something with my life because I view this as a critical component. This isn't a side issue. There is nothing I would rather be doing. I want to work. Let me see your hand if that's the way you approach every day of your life. There's, there's half a dozen dishonest men here. The rest of us wouldn't raise our hand to that one because the truth of the matter is work can be less than appealing sometimes. But this is a mindset that needs cultivation. And I believe that historically this has been a defining reality. And that's why it's called the Protestant work ethic. This is a defining reality in Christianity and in the people of God. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. He says you only have now to work. So work as hard as you can. Make it happen now. Ephesians 4.28. Let him who stole stop being a politician. <laughs> let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. That he may have something to give to him who has need. What a profound mindset. I don't want to work just to get wealth. I want to work so I can be liberal. 
I want to work so I have something to give. Ephesians 6, 5 to 8, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Now, I like to take this verse and shift it into today's culture and society. This was a culture and society that was built largely on slavery. The Romans thought that work was a terrible thing and wouldn't do any physical work unless they were absolutely poverty-stricken. They left all the work to slaves. So this is a common mindset, but you've got to shift this into today's world. So instead of saying, bond servants, be obedient to your masters, let's say, employees, be obedient to your employers. Okay, that's today's cultural context. Be obedient to your employers according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart. As to Christ, that's how you approach your job. I'm working for Jesus. I want to give him the best job, uh, the best work that I can possibly give him. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Having this inner work ethic. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. God is our employer. We're ultimately working for him. And we have this confidence that if I sow and work with hope, I will be the partaker of that hope. I'm going to gain by this effort. Second Thessalonians already quoted it. If you won't work, you won't eat. So a mind to work is a heart issue. It's a character issue. It's a spiritual issue. There are no freeloaders in the kingdom of God. If you take nothing else from this sermon this evening, take that. There are no freeloaders in the kingdom of God. You don't coast. You don't coast. You're not a good person doing nothing. You don't coast. Apply that to your life right now. I want to end with this idea, this simple observation. According to our text, it was the mind to work that produced the wall. So we built, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, which would have been about seven, eight feet. It was joined together. In other words, we finished it all the way around the city for, because the people had a mind to work. In the end, work will never go unrewarded. There are times when you're working that you don't feel that your labors are appreciated. There are times when you feel that you're bypassed in promotion. There are times that you feel like you're giving it everything you've got and it's not coming together, it's not producing. This can be in any context you want to put it. Marriage, spirituality, ministry, church planting, the business world, whatever context, there will always be times when you feel like I am giving it 100% and I'm not getting anything for it. And that can be a very frustrating thing to have to deal with it. But that's when your brain has to get a little bigger. And you have to understand that work will always pay out in the end. 
It may not pay out right now. Jacob worked for Laban, and Laban screwed him every chance he got. But at the end, who walked away with all the cattle? Who walked away with the daughters? Who walked away with everything? Jacob won. And that's a whole other sermon. Because Jacob was a creep. How come he kept winning? That's another sermon. <laughs> but at the end of the day, Jacob worked. And he knew how to work. And he knew how to go for what he wanted and get it. And that's what you're going to have to do. You have to recognize that work always rewards the worker. Proverbs 20:13 Do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. Proverbs 21:5 The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. Proverbs 22:29 Do you see the man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings, he will not stand before unknown men. Proverbs 28, 19, he who tills his land will have plenty of bread. This is a principle that is woven into creation. God worked, if you will allow me to say this, God worked because he had a vision for what he wanted to accomplish. He had a vision for what he wanted to create. And when it all was said and done, he sat back and he said, yeah, that's what I had in mind. It is good. It is good. It is very good. I believe that if you will embrace work with your heart, whatever you're doing, whatever your hand finds to do, you will come to the close of that chapter at least saying, it is good. I've been rewarded for my labor. So, what do you want? What do you want? What do you really want? Let's get honest. What do you really want? You're going to have to work for it. Amen. I want every head bowed, every eye closed.